Scripture reading for today is from Leviticus chapter 20, verse 1 through 8. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 1 through 8. This is the word of God. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the people of Israel, Any one of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who gives any of his children to Molech, shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Molech to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. And if the people of the land do at all close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Molech and do not put him to death, then I will set my face against that man and against his clan and will cut them off from among their people, him and all who follow him in whoring after Molech. If a person turns to mediums and necromancers whoring after them, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. This morning, before we go into the message, just want to welcome a couple guests who are joining us today. We have uh, Eunice and Timmy. Uh, if you could just raise your hand so I can recognize where you are, and we can greet you properly. They're, they're sitting in the back to my left. Let's, as a church, welcome them together. Thank you for joining us. Well, happy Lunar New Year, everyone. Uh, if you celebrate, I hope uh, you'll have some great time with your family and friends. Uh, but uh, we are here looking into the book of Leviticus, and... Um, if, if we are honest, I, maybe perhaps the book of Leviticus is often a, a forgotten book for a lot of us Christians, because uh, it's filled with a lot of the rules and regulations, rituals and ceremonies uh, that, that had the language of clean and unclean, pure and unpure. Uh, but the Israelites, they valued this book, because it was a book really about how to enjoy one's fellowship with the holy God who saved them from Egypt. The book of Leviticus revealed the very things that God loves as well as the things that God hates. It's, it's like how you find the joy to discover more about that person whom you love. And, and to the Israelites, Leviticus was that book. It was a book to reveal God's heart. So they treasure this book as it helped maintain the intimate fellowship that God himself has initiated. Following the ways that God has provided for them and learning what it means to be holy people that belong to this holy God. Last week, we heard one of our uh, core values as a church, that we are a confessional church. And so I think it's appropriate to just share in, in summary of one of the confessions that we adhere to called the Westminster Confession of Faith. And in chapter 19, article 6, it, it tells us what is the purpose of the law for us Christians. Right? We are not saved by the obedience of the law, but the law of God still has a play for us in our lives. And, and without reading the whole confession, I'll just summarize that the law of God reveals God's will. It tells us how we are to live if we are truly believing in this God. The law of God tells us why we still need this, why we continually need Jesus as our Savior, because we see this God's holy law and how unholy we are, and so we need a mediator, a redeemer, who is Christ our Lord. The law reveals the things that we are to love and hate, because God loves it and God hates it. And the law also directs us to live a blessed life, because there is real blessing to live a life in obedience to God. 
even though we're saved by faith and not by the obedience of the law. And so today we, we look upon Le- Leviticus 20 and, and see how God calls us to follow him and to love those, particularly children, and, and in, our, in our case this morning, also the preborn. So join with me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that today we can celebrate uh, life through, through baptism and hearing how, e- even though the progress may seem slow, that there are signs of, of triumph and, and, and progression. And I pray that your people would receive the grace to be all the more courageous and strong to stand for truth, to stand for goodness and what is holy. Uh, may we live a life that is pleasing to you, Lord, and open our hearts and minds to receive and understand these words. In Jesus' name I pray. Uh, the actress uh, who won the 2020 Golden Globe Award for Best Performance by an Actress in a Limited Series or a Motion Picture Made for Television took her time in that short time that people have in, in giving their acceptance speech to speak on the rights of women to choose what to do with the baby inside of them. And these are the words that she said. When you put this reward in someone's hand, this, this Golden Globe in someone's hand, you're acknowledging the choices that they make as an actor but you're also acknowledging the choices they make as a person, the education they pursue, the training they sought, the hours they put in. I'm grateful, she continues, for the acknowledgement of the choices I made. I'm also grateful to have lived a moment in our society where choice exists because as women and as girls, things can happen to our bodies that are not our choice. I've tried my very best to live a life of my own making and not just a series of events that happened to me, but one that I can stand back and look at and recognize my handwriting all over. I wouldn't have been able to do this without employing a woman's right to choose. And upon these words, the crowd roared with applause, and even one person affirming and shouting and saying to this woman, preach! And she continues in her speech, recognizing that when you become a mother, most of your time and energy will go to the child that a mother's role has to always be first her child before herself. And she concludes her speech saying, thank God, or whomever you pray to, that we live in a country founded on the principle that I am free to live by my faith. So women 18 to 118, when it's time to vote, please do so in your own self-interest. It's what men have been doing for years. Now she is holding a reward that she believed she could not have won unless she aborted, or if we were to say really what it is, chose to murder her unborn child. She's claiming that her faith, her career, her money were all at risk if she had another baby, so she ultimately decided to choose those things over her child. And I find the entire speech to be hypocritical. As she said, the scale will always fall on the child of the mother but you don't become a mother when the baby is born. You become a mother when the baby is conceived. For what changes in terms of caring for a child, whether the child is born or not yet born? Like a born child, you need to protect, feed, provide, keep watch on that child's development because the work of the mother does not change. Only the form of that work changes. And this is true for for men. That even though we don't bear life in our bodies, when you are responsible for bringing life into this world, you become a father not when that baby is born, but when that baby is conceived in the mother's womb. That you care for the woman and the child as you are responsible to do so as a man. 
The actress in her conclusion was saying that Roe v. Wade is what happens when women run the world. And not only that, she thanks God for the ability to choose to murder her unborn baby in order to get the things that are so earthly and temporary. Truly, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, that it would drive a mother to kill her child and thanks God for it. And yet our narr the narrative in our society is that while abortion is not good, some call it a necessary evil, it should nevertheless be normal and something to be praised if a woman chooses to abort her child. Now ask yourselves these questions. How is it considered not good when you praise and advocate for it? When do you ever celebrate or advocate for something that is not good? And we know what is going on in an abortion. Even the strongest advocate for abortion know exactly what is happening when an abortion is, is taking place. It is the termination of a human being without the justification of saving life. That's why they call it a necessary evil. That's why politicians who advocate for abortion are saying, we want to reduce the number because they know it's not merely pulling teeth, that it is a termination of a human life. It is something serious, something grave. It is not just killing animals for food, but it's something much greater and deeper. So they call it a necessary evil. They, want to, they say they want to reduce the numbers because they know exactly what abortion is. But God has always been on the mission of seeing life flourish because he is the God of life. That's why even when Adam and Eve sinned against God, he didn't abort the mission along with the creatures. Even though every human being born after Adam and Eve will be born in their likeness and their sinfulness. But rather, God planned to see life continue and flourish in the greater Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you have heard that on Friday, June 22nd, last year, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, which began in 1973. And Roe v. Wade made abortion a constitutional right in this country. And I, I think U.S. Is, had been the only country where abortion was a constitutional right. And now with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, it's, it's up to the states to determine whether abortion should be legal or not. So even though Roe v. Wade had been overturned, we see that access, as, as Kelly shared with us this morning, that access to abortion is still plenty. And I'm amazed when, when this happened, the level of anger that people expressed the level of hatred and vandalism even for clinics and, and centers that are supporting life because they hated the overturning of a law that had killed over 930,000 babies in the womb. Nevertheless, as a grown-up fetus, I am happy for the decision for all the future fetuses. And I do hope and pray that we as a nation will be a country where we no longer kill babies when, again, we have already done so when we've already killed 930,000 babies in a single year. And that's a number that's just reported. So it's likely even higher. In our sermon this morning, we see how God views children and therefore how we need to view children in and outside the womb. And so I'm going to separate the message into three parts. One, children are to be valued. Two, the horrors of abortion. And three, the call of Christians. And so we, we see that children are to be valued. And so think, of, think about this scenario. And, and, and in your minds, tell me what you would think of me. 
what would you think of me if a child came in my work area and broke my laptop, causing me to lose all the data in my device, all the sermons that I preached in the past 14 years, all the pictures of my family, including the baby pictures of my son and my daughter, all the record of materials from seminary, and what if that child broke all of it, so I took this child to court and told the judge, you need to give this child the death sentence. He deserves it for what he has done to my property. You would say, that's absurd. That's unfair. See, back in the, uh, the day when, when we see the book of Leviticus written for God's people, uh, they were surrounded by nations and cultures where a possession or property had greater value than a human life. In, even in the ancient Egyptian culture to the Canaanite nations that surrounded them, and even centuries later with the Greco-Roman uh, nations, we see that there were people who valued properties and possessions more than people. And so if you damaged a possession or a property of a prestigious individual, you would get the death penalty. But it was different with the Israelites, where you would only need to compensate for any damaged good, and death penalty would be the result of murdering another human being. In fact, historians agree that this idea of valuing a human life above possessions and property was a very Judeo-Christian worldview. That we have been influenced. If you're here right now and you say human beings are important more than property and possession, it's because we've been influenced by the Judeo-Christian worldview. So the capital punishment was reserved for the unholiest acts, one of which included murdering another person. And while much of the ancient cultures believed that women and children were more property than dignified human beings, Israel and later Christianity proclaimed that human life is always more valuable than property and spoke of women being partners with men, children as valuable human beings. This is because the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament and the very moral laws which he spoke in the Old is the same moral law that applies to us today. Thou shalt not kill. What God is telling his people is that children are to be valued, not to be sacrificed. It is a call of parents to sacrifice for their children and not sacrifice their children for their ambitions, dreams, wealth, and riches. See, Moloch was a Canaanite deity whose worship practices involved throwing your children into the fire. Israelite kings who abandoned the God of Abraham and worshipped Moloch sacrificed their own children to Moloch in the fire. Even the wise King Solomon, because of the many influences of his wives, built a place of worship for Moloch. And we don't really know the cultic practices of Moloch. We don't know why they sacrificed children, what was the reason. And one of the reasons why we don't know much about their cultic practices is because they don't exist anymore. They've been wiped out as God said that he was going to judge. So they've been wiped out of existence. And we know very little of their practices. Time and time again, God tells his people, don't be like those Canaanite nations. It is because of what they do that I'm expelling them from the nations. It is because of what they do that I'm bringing you into the nation to judge them. And he warns his people, don't be like them, or else you will receive the very same judgment that I have placed upon them. Such things dishonors God dishonor God and profane his name, and God will not be mocked. Throughout the Old Testament, we see that even a preborn baby have the same value as born babies and adults. In Exodus 21, this is what it says. 
When men strive together, when they fight one another and hit a pregnant woman so that her child come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined as the woman's husband shall impose on him and shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. When you harm and cause the baby inside the womb to die, even if the mother is physically okay, you will pay the price of the life that you have taken. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. And so even today in our country, some of the states would consider murdering a pregnant woman as double homicide and treating the death of a fetus with a high penalty if, if, if you kill the baby inside a mother's womb, some states, I, I think, is, is a minimum of 20 years in prison, even if the mother's okay. So God treasures children, both born and preborn, because even in a fetal stage, that child bears the image of God. That child is a human being, a person who has a right to life. You know, because even in that embryonic stage, that child is a, a, is a being who reflects God's wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And this is why abortion is horrific. It's terminating a human being. So what are the horrors of abortion? What are we aborting? We use words like embryo and fetus. But, but these are words to simply describe a developmental stage of a human being, like how we would say a toddler, teenager, adult. It's a, it's a language of maturation of a human being. See, the embryo, as, as I will reiterate some of the things that Kelly shared this morning, embryo is not a component of a human being as if other things needed to be added in order for that embryo to become a human being. It is not pre-human. The entire human being is within that embryonic development and, and, and has the entire unique set of DNA. That embryo will not be like any other person who existed on the face of this world. And yet even today, like these ancient Canaanite nations, we sacrifice our children for the sake of our idols. We have many modern-day Moloks. We may call them comfort. We may call them ease. We may call it wealth, job security, avoidance of shame, the ability to choose. We may call our Moloch my body. And there are many more names. But idols are something that we are willing to sacrifice our children for in order to keep or receive something for ourselves. And yet, what's actually going on when babies are aborted in the womb? Did you know that most abortions in the U.S. happen within 7 to 10 weeks of pregnancy? But by the 8th week, all the organs of that fetus is present and growing, again, with its own unique DNA. It makes that baby unique from every other person. We will never have another person like that in the world. And yet by then, especially by the second and third trimester, we don't just remove the baby out of the womb. The child is crushed and chopped and sucked out in the most inhumane way possible. That even when I was looking and researching through this uh, for the material for today, my antivirus software would send up signals saying, do you really want to visit this page? And they word is accept the risk because the pictures are grotesque it's another human being mutilated and one may say that this is a very private affair 
It's not anyone's business but the woman's, the church, the government. No one should have any say in it except the woman herself. But imagine, if you will, knowing that this person inside the womb is a human being. Imagine, if you will, if someone takes a five-year-old to the privacy of one's home and decides to do heinous things to this child. Would you say, that's a private affair. I don't have to do anything about it. I'll just walk away. Or would you call the police or at the very least say, stop, what are you doing? Some may argue that it's different with the preborn because while it is a human being, it's not a human person. That not every human being has the right to live until they become a human person. Well, then if that's your argument, you have to tell me what it means to be a person. And when does a being become a person? Some people argue that, it, that there needs to be a level of consciousness and self-awareness. Well, then, why are those factors of value? How did you decide that consciousness and self-awareness should determine the value of a person and give them the right to live? We know that newborn babies cannot make conscious choices until several months after they're born. So then, is it also right to murder a newborn if we choose to do so? But what about adults who are suffering through brain damage or have cognitive disabilities? People who, you know, there are many camps of people who try to divide the personhood with being, but none of them have a consensus of what it means to be a person. But to God, the very fact that you are a human being makes you a human person, therefore having the right to live. One may then argue that, at least with the embryo, it's small. Therefore, the, the abortion process is not as gruesome and, and, and the life is just simply easily extinguished, much like the chemical way that we have heard this morning. So then you, you're saying size is what determines the value of a human being. Be careful in saying that because I'm bigger than most of you. And so am I more valuable than you because of my size? What about compared to your children, that I'm more valuable than your children because I am bigger than them? Perhaps like some philosophers of our day, you may argue for one's usefulness in the society. That one's value is determined by how useful that person is to the society. That we need thinkers and inventors, but we don't need the beggars. So then what do we do with our retired elders? What do we do with people with severe learning disabilities? My son, as far as I can see with his autism, will probably never be an engineer. He'll probably never be a scientist, a doctor, or anyone that one might consider useful to our society. And yet, my 10-year-old teaches me so much about humanity just by existing. Just the other day, <clears throat> I realized that, <clears throat> excuse me, I realized that he is so content with the same things. We have a bedtime routine, my wife and I. We, we pray for him, we sing the doxology, and he sings it beautifully in key, and then we kiss and we say goodnight. But we've, before we say goodnight, I do three things that make his night. Uh, and, and I've been doing this day after day, week after week, year after year. Same three things. The first thing is I look at him and I go, school. And he thinks it is hilarious when I just look at him and go, school. And then I follow that up with by shaking my head and saying, no pumpkin. Right? No connections whatsoever. But to him, one after the other, it is the most hilarious thing that he has ever seen. And then I top it off by breathing heavily through my nostrils. And he has this belly laugh and he's crackling and he goes to bed happy regardless of what he had experienced throughout that day. 
And he thinks, therefore, I am the funniest person who has ever lived. And this routine, as well as the joy that comes from it, has never wavered day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. But, you know, that got me thinking. It actually got me thinking about heaven. That how in God's eternal kingdom, we might be doing the same things for all eternity. And even though we might be doing the same things every single day, that it is still possible to be filled with joy and not get bored. And I came to this realization that the kingdom of God must be so much greater than what I could imagine. That when I see the gates of God's kingdom and enter in, I will not be disappointed. And that for one day and every day for all eternity, I could find so much joy in worshiping God, even if it's the same thing that I do for all eternity. Now, could I have come to this realization without my son? Maybe. But I came to this realization because of my son. That he, though he may not be considered useful in the ways that people perceive one's usefulness, he is certainly changing my life and helped me to see Jesus better. You might think in the reasons of abortion, in terms of fairness to women, one of the things that always pops up is in the case of rape. What about rape? What about pregnancy and rape? And we should all agree that rape is a terrible thing, and those who commit such atrocities must be severely punished. But let me ask you, in our society today, when do we ever punish the child for the crimes of the father? When do we ever say to the child, you deserve the death penalty because of what your dad has done? And if it's about experiencing deep pain and trauma, and if that's the reason why we should be able to abort people, then what keeps us from eliminating people who reminds us of various traumas, whether it be a relative, a friend, or a spouse even? Shouldn't we have the right to terminate their lives too if their existence and their presence cause us to remind ourselves of traumatic events? And oftentimes with this issue of rape, we often take it and apply it to every single pregnancy. Because rape should be permissible here, it should be permissible in all cases. You see, with whatever argument you make that justifies killing a preborn, you run into so many problems. And, and you cannot, if you, if you agree to these philosophies, you cannot cry for any human rights whatsoever. Because whatever right you take away from a preborn, you are certainly taking away from someone who has been born. And there's so much more that I want to share with you regarding the dangers of abortion and, and the connection of promiscuity and sex and how abortion has really not helped women at all. As Kelly shared this morning of the silent pain that a lot of these women go through, we see that women have, who have gone through abortions are scarred, and they're not just physically scarred inside their bodies, because there is no way, as much as our culture likes to convince us of this, there's no way that you can abort a human being and come out of it whole. And so I, I want to invite you, if you'd like to further dialogue, or if you're, if you're a believer and, and you want some equipping and training of, of how we can dialogue these things with people, I am certainly open to hearing from you. But let me say this one thing before I move to the final point. There's a spiritual element to this as well. Every human being, born or pre-born, is made in the image of God, and murder is a serious offense. There are certainly just killings in the Bible, 
But murder is taking another person's life without justification. And all of us will have to stand before God one day in judgment. While there is redemption and salvation in Jesus, one of the sure ways that we have truly come to Christ is by repenting, turning away from the things that God hates, and by believing, turning to him and trusting in him. So if you advocate for the murder of the preborn, what would repentance look like for you? And if there is no repentance in your life, in all the things, all the matters that God has clearly revealed to us in Scripture, then I do fear for you. I hope that you, you will examine this subject very carefully. Hopefully the way I present it to you uh, this morning gives you the impression that I'm not here to shame anyone, but merely to correct any misinformation. I wouldn't be a faithful pastor if I didn't speak of the will of God, and I certainly wouldn't be a loving pastor if I wasn't willing to call out the lies that many of us have been deceived to believe in. And I hope that in all of these issues that are tied to the unborn, that you will see there is no justification of killing over 930,000 babies each and every year. So what are we to do? What is our call and our response? We heard from the pulpit about two weeks ago that Jesus is in control of history. Praise the Lord. But dear friends, this wonderful principle of God's sovereignty is not a permission for our passivity. It's actually supposed to serve as our motivation to be active precisely because Jesus is on the throne. This is his kingdom. So we labor because God is going to win. All of our efforts, though they're faced with obstacles and trials, will not be in vain. It will be worth it. So as Christians, we come with an understanding that children are to be valued and not sacrificed. We are called as Christians to welcome all young ones. Jesus said to his disciples in Mark 9, 37, Whoever receives one child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. You see what the Lord Jesus is saying here? That our measure of love for Christ can be measured by the love that we have for children. That we cannot receive Jesus unless we're willing to receive the little ones. Some argue that those who advocate for the preborn don't care about life after birth. You only care about what happens in the womb, but you don't care about what happens to people after they are born. But much of the conversations I've had with such individuals, they don't want to hear about how most foster parents are evangelical Christians. They don't want to hear about how Christians stand outside abortion clinics with signs that read, we'll adopt your child. I read somewhere that with every parent that's contemplating abortion, there are 23 families looking to adopt. And, and I've been trying to find the, the statistics as I heard it and I read it somewhere and I couldn't Google it. I couldn't find it. But what I did find is that at any given moment, there's one to two million people looking to adopt. There's always a choice for life. Christians have throughout history always valued human life. When ancient people would abandon their children in the woods, Christians would find them and bring them into their homes and raise them as their own. Throughout history, Christians have sacrificed themselves for the sake of others. And the reason is because this is exactly what our Lord and Savior, our God, has done for us. When all creatures were created to worship him, God took the form of man, becoming man, and became our sacrifice so that we will not be crushed by his wrath. When we should have been aborted due to our sins, God preserved us and sustains us, not only bringing us to life at birth, but keeping us in Christ for all eternity. 
He made the sacrifice so that in him we lose nothing, even when we sacrifice a lot of things. So what can we do? Greg Cunningham, the executive director of the Center for Bioethical Reform, gives a challenging word. He says, most people who say they oppose abortion do just enough to salve the conscience, but not enough to kill, stop the killing. So I want us to call us to, to live a life that is challenging, a sacrificial life. And, and here are some things that I think we should consider as a church, what we can do. One, receive those who have gone through an abortion and minister to their scars that they carry in their wombs and in their souls. Israel, as you see in this passage, was responsible for enacting God's judgment against uh, those who have thrown children as sacrifice for Moloch. And if they don't, God says, I myself will set my face against that person and will cut that person off. And the tribe that was in agreement with these acts. So we see that abortion truly harms not only the woman, but even the nation, the little tribes of that woman and, and the family. So while we do not excuse any behaviors, that we would seek to see people be restored and minister to those who have suffered through abortion, who carry those scars, that we would seek for these individuals to be restored. Because abortion does not make a woman whole. It can't. It damages people. So I hope that we as a ministry will seek to see people restored with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second thing that you can do as a church is get to know the people in your neighborhood and in your community. Do you know anyone in your neighborhood who is a low-income family? Do you know any single mothers in your neighborhood? Rally your CGs and your JGs to, to perhaps uh, gather means and helping these families, buying groceries, diapers, providing services, or maybe even organize a neighborhood baby shower. Give according to your means to those who are in need, but you don't know who those people are unless you go out there and meet them. So get to know your people in your neighborhood and community. Thirdly, don't vote for politicians who promise to make abortion the law of the land. I honestly did not think much of it until the recent overturning of Roe v. Wade that changes actually can happen. And so don't vote for politicians. I, I probably on this pulpit will probably never tell you who to vote for, but I think it's important at this point in time to let you know that there are certain people that we should not vote for. Number four, support organizations like Assist Pregnancy Center. As, as we have heard, they help men and women who are struggling. They help mothers see their babies in the womb. I heard that more than 80% of mothers who see their child in an ultrasound decide to keep the child. So we see organizations like Assist being a life-saving organization. So according to your means, consider perhaps being a monthly financial supporter to organizations like Assist. And if you can't help financially, there's so many other ways that you can help as they're looking for many volunteers. And this is a list that I found from their website of ways that people can volunteer. Abortion recovery Bible study volunteer, administrative support, baby bottle fundraising campaign coordinator, baby shower volunteer, baby supply drive volunteer, cleaning volunteer, parenting mentor, event coordinator volunteer, IT volunteer, mail team volunteer, maintenance support, medical volunteer for those who are licensed RN, RDMS, MD, or OBGYN professionals. I have no idea what those letters mean, but if, if you know it or you have it, maybe you can consider. And, and they're also looking for videography and photography volunteer. You don't, I, I know many of us here in our church are very gifted in taking pictures. You don't even have to have those $1,000 equipment 
You can just use your phones, your $1,000 phones. <laughs> but there is also another way that we can consider, and this is a very challenging one that I, I hope you will take into consideration and pray to the Lord, that if you have the means, consider opening your home to foster care. On a given day, there are about 428,000 children in the foster care system. So if we, if we want to show that we care for life even after the womb, consider your means, and, and if you can, would you consider opening your home to foster care? And lastly, perhaps you can even consider adoption and bringing a child who has been left or abandoned into your home and raising that child to be yours. Friends, brothers, and sisters, may we be a ministry that will strive to care for all people from the womb to the tomb, that we will treasure life and care for those in need, loving our neighbors as ourselves because we have and we are receiving the love of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Will it be hard to obey and follow the call of, of what God is calling us to do? Absolutely. It is hard to live and stand for the truth. At times, it's going to tear you down and break you apart. But it is in death that we experience the resurrection life. It is in moments of great weakness that we come to realize how strong our God really is. It is when we sacrifice that we can gather and praise the work that Jesus has done for us. The call that God has given to us as Christians is a hard one. But remember, brothers and sisters, we have a great God who loves us and works mightily in and through us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for the, the joys that, that we can experience because we are alive and we are alive in you. And I pray that we as God's people would stand for what is true, that we would be courageous to stand for what is good and holy, for it is good not only for individuals but for our society, a life of bless, blessed and, uh, blessedness and peace. And so, Lord, we thank you, God, that every moment of life we can treasure it and help us, therefore, to share this treasure and joys with others as we long for your return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and close our time with a song of praise.